I invite you to turn to our scripture reading. Uh, let, me, let me encourage you to, to, to use one of the Bibles. If maybe you notice that under the chairs where you're sitting, scattered about are, are real, physical, old Bibles. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, I think it'll be helpful this morning to grab one of those. Uh, portions of it are printed out in our, in our bulletin, but uh, in some of the passages in our study in Numbers, we're going to look at bigger sections and and sometimes it's just helpful to get your eyes on the big thing. We're also going to be flipping to a couple other passages where it's be helpful to, to have the whole Bible in front of you. So right now, turn over to page 108. Uh, 108. Uh, it's the book of Numbers, chapter 1. Um, you know how the Bible goes. starts off Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So fourth book, uh, chapter 1 is over there, is there on page 108. If you're with us last week, we started this new series in the book of Numbers. We're actually calling our series In the Wilderness, which uh, is actually the Hebrew title for the book, In the Wilderness. It's good to use because it gives a good description about what the book's about and helps us understand how it is applicable to us uh, today in the wilderness. Uh, I wonder in what ways this week you felt like you were living in a spiritual wilderness. Uh, that is where we live. Uh, and for the Israelites that we're reading about, it was quite a literal wilderness. The book starts off where they're uh, not far from Mount Sinai. The Sinai wilderness is this rocky, barren place. And they're going to travel around that area for about 40 years uh, there's good news that the people of God can celebrate. They're no longer slaves in Egypt. So good news, they've been rescued out of Egypt. Hard news, they're not in the promised land yet. They're in the wilderness. Good news, out of Egypt. Hard news, they're in the wilderness. Now, same for us. It was geographically true of Israel. It's spiritually true for God's people today. If you're a believer in Christ... Uh, you've been rescued from your sin because you're putting your faith in what Jesus has done, and you're a part of the people of God, you're a part of the Israel of God, and there's good news. You've been freed from Egypt, spiritually, no longer a slave to sin and death, so good news, you're set free, uh, hard news, we're not in the promised land yet. Clearly this isn't the heavenly promised land, this isn't paradise, we're in the wilderness, so what does God have for us here? Uh, in between the, the good rescue and the not-quite-there uh, heavenly promised land, well, the book of Numbers uh, helps us understand. Uh, we teased out some of the key themes last week, uh, and we, we get to kind of take that for a test drive because our first passage really takes a couple of those key themes and help us, helps us put into a real-life example. So last week we said one of the key ways we understand our uh, calling and the God's plan in the wilderness is we look back to where God has taken uh, his people, uh, what he's done in the past, and then we also look ahead to what he will yet do, and that'll help us understand what the present is all about. And that's exactly what we have in Numbers 1 this morning. Look back to the past, preview of the future, uh, to talking about our present calling, but all of that is in this strange language of a, a census of God's people. A numbering uh, of Israel. It's kind of like a foreign language. 
Uh, it might sound really strange and odd, uh, but if you do a little of the translation work, you can realize God is communicating something in the midst of this strange language. He's reviewing the good things that he has done. He's looking and giving a preview of what he will yet do, and he's talking about what our calling is in the present. So that's what we're going to get into. But first, let's read a little bit of the passage and try to try to get a sense of it. Again, having the actual Bible open uh, can be helpful to put your eyes on what's what's happening. Page 108. Let's just read, first of all, the, the first eight verses. Uh, first four, excuse me. <clears throat> so it starts off, The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting, on the first day of the second month, in the second year, after they had <clears throat> come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel, by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them, company by company. And there shall be with you a man from each tribe, and each man being the head of the house of his fathers. Uh, so we'll kind of explain as we go on this one. So you get what Moses is, is being told by God. Take a census of the people of Israel. Specifically count those who are 20 years old and older, the males, uh, those of military age, uh, and, and count them uh, family by family, tribe by tribe. Uh, and <clears throat> uh, tribe by tribe. And to help you with this, there's going to be a, a leader from every tribe who's going who's to supervise the count in their tribe. You might remember the people of Israel uh, are divided up into 12 tribes. Uh, it's, it's from their family history uh, because these are all the descendants of Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And each of the 12 sons of Jacob becomes one of the tribes of, of Israel. Um, <clears throat> and so what you have here, verses 5 to 15 is you have all those uh, tribes listed and the leader of each of the individual tribes. Uh, actually, there's one tribe left out, and that's the tribe of Levi, after Jacob's son Levi. We'll talk last next week about why he's left out. Uh, but you still have 12 names because the tribe of Joseph is often divided into two pieces, uh, and according to Joseph's two sons, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. And you see that there uh, in verse 10, uh, you have Joseph divided up into two places. So at the end of the day, you have 12 different groups, even with one son left out. The actual ordering of the, of the names is significant, or is at least uh, on purpose. Uh, they're organized according to the mother of the son, right? So each of the tribes is according to one of the sons of Jacob. And here they're ordered in 5 to 15 according to who the mother is. Jacob had... Uh, sons by several different women. So first you get all the sons of Levi, or excuse me, of, of Leah. Then you get all the sons of Rachel. Then you have all the sons of the, the two servant girls. <clears throat> and they're listed in that order. So first up, uh, you have uh, Reuben, who's Jacob's firstborn son. Uh, so 5 to 15 is name all the leaders for these tribes. And then the bulk of the chapter uh, is, is going through tribe by tribe and giving the, giving the count, the census. Here's what the total is, males to 20 uh, year, years old and older. So let's look at just one of those. Let's look at Reuben, Jacob's firstborn son, son of Leah. Uh, his descendants turn into the tribe of Reuben. So verse 20 reads, 
The people of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, their generations, by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, head by head, every male from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war, and those listed of the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. So there's one tribe. And if we kept reading, which we won't, uh, but if we, we kept reading and your eyes can kind of glance down, you see how it goes tribe by tribe by tribe, almost the identical language in each case, and you get the, the figure for that particular group of God's people. And then you get to the end of our section, 44 to 46, and you get the summary. Add everything up. And so here's what 44 to 46 uh, reads. These are those who were listed, <clears throat> whom Moses and Aaron listed with the help of the chiefs of Israel, chiefs of Israel, 12 men representing his father's house. So all those listed of the people of Israel by their father's houses from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war in Israel, all those listed were 603,550. A census of God's people. So what does that mean? What does that have to do with us? Well, we'll break it down into a look at the past, a preview of the future, and help for our present. So let's start off with a reminder of God's past faithfulness. And particularly the message is, God is keeping his promises. So we've already seen, as we just quickly reviewed this, uh, this first chapter, that you have Israel's history baked into the census. Because each of these tribes is named after their history, their, uh, their forefathers who went before them, the sons of, of Jacob. So already there's this connection to the past. But let's take the past just a little bit further back. So Jacob, you might remember from the book of Genesis, one of the patriarchs who had these 12 sons. Well, he had a grandfather where everything really began, and that's Abraham. So let's go look at a couple verses from the life of Abraham Genesis 15. So you can flip over to Genesis 15. It's page 10. So here we are. We're going backwards in history. This is Jacob's grandfather over on page 10. Uh, Abraham. This is before God changed his name. So he's called Abram. Same guy. God had come to Abraham some 20 years earlier. Uh, 10, 20 years earlier. And said, I'll leave your father's... Uh, land, go to this new land, this promised land I'm going to show you. And God promised him that he was going to be the father of a, of a great nation, have this great inheritance. But here he is, chapter 15, and he's saying to God, um, God, I don't even have a single son. He's 85 years old. I don't have a single son. And so, so you have that, verse 2 of chapter 15. But Abram said, oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. I don't have one, don't have one son. It's all going to go to my servant. What are you going to give me, God? And look how God responds. Verse 5. And he, God, God brought Abraham outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So here, uh, here God comes to Abraham. I don't have a single son. And God says, guess what? Not only will you have one descendant, your descendants will be so vast, it'll be like the stars of the sky. 
And he takes him outside and said, go ahead, try to number the stars. Abraham, that's going to be your offspring. And you can picture Abraham, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't see it yet, right? He doesn't have a single son. Maybe he's even thinking in his head, uh, God, I don't see it. But at the end of the day, he believes, which is what it says in verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord. So he hears Abraham, Lord, I don't see how in the world this is going to work, but I believe you, even though I don't see it. So Abraham has to believe, even though his eyes don't yet see it. Okay, that's, that's where it begins in terms of God's people and the numbering. Starts, there's not any, but God promises like stars in the sky. Uh, now we're going to move forward in history. One more stop before we get to our numbers passage. Let's stop over in Exodus 1. <clears throat> so now page 45. <clears throat> Exodus 1. And just glance over the, these first few verses from Exodus 1. And look down there. And you say, oh, look, it's Jacob. And his household, and look, there's names, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. These are those 12 names that we looked at in Numbers 1. Uh, these are the sons of Jacob, but now it's they're on their way into Egypt. So it's not nations, it's individuals, Jacob and his 12 sons. And what's the purpose of these first seven verses? Uh, they're numbered. Right? A, a little... On the way into Egypt, census. And what are we told there in verse 5? The descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. So you start to see the progression. It starts off with Abraham. I don't have one son. And God says, just wait. Now here we are into the land of Egypt, and you have Abraham's grandson and his, and his children. Now you've got 70. And those same 12 names reappear now that God's people are on their way out of Egypt. So now we go back to Numbers 1, where we started on page 108. And what do we discover here? What started with Abraham, I don't see it, God, but God promised, then went to 70. Now what do we have? We have God telling his people, go tribe by tribe. Go name of the son of Jacob by name of the son of Jacob, one by one by one, add them up. And what do you have? Not one, not 70, but 603,000 people. And this is, this is just the males, 20 and older. Add in women and children, probably close to 2 million people. You start to see the, the message? Right, God promising, like stars in the sky. And, and here you start to see, this is a vast people. The kind of effort it took to, to number them all. It is kind of like counting stars in the sky. You see the, the loud and clear shouting from God as the people of God had to go through this. He's saying to his people, I am a God who keeps his promises. Think of how important that would be as they are there in the wilderness and will be for some time to come. Uh, as they again and again are going to face situations that look confusing, that look overwhelming, that look tempting, that look impossible. And like Abraham before them, they're going to be tempted to say, God, I don't see it. I don't understand it. I don't see how in the world this is going to work. But they're going to be called uh, to trust God, even though they don't see it. And right at the beginning of that time, God gives them this powerful reminder. 
you can trust me. I'm a God who keeps his promises. So even though you don't see it here in the wilderness, don't quite understand how it's going to work, you can trust me to keep your, my promises. And of course, that's, that's the message we need to hear as well. Because here we are in the spiritual wilderness, and how often do we run into situations where we're just not seeing it? You know, difficulty, struggle, or I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand how you're getting something good out of this, where this is all going. God, I don't see it. And the call for us is to have that Abraham-like faith. God, I don't see it, but I trust you. And to strengthen us, to get us ready. What does God give us but reminders of in his word about how he powerfully keeps his promise. And here's numbers one. Promise being fulfilled. And God assures you again. He keeps his promises. Be encouraged. You can press on even though you don't see it. Uh, we actually, as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, we have another reminder from the Lord, powerful message from the Lord, I keep my promises. In many ways, that's exactly what the Lord's Supper is. Because here you have God's promise fulfilled. This promise is actually older than Abraham. And all the way back from the time we first, as a people, got ourselves in sin and death, and back in Adam and Eve, God promised there was going to be a a rescuer, there's going to be a deliverer, and God kept promising and promising there's going to be a salvation, it's coming. And what do we have this morning? But this message, promise fulfilled. Christ came. Christ died for sin. Christ was raised to rescue us. And here we get this powerful reminder, this is a God who keeps his promises, we can trust him. Uh, right in the middle of the wilderness, where we're going to see things, God, I don't, I don't know how this is going to work. God says, I'll give you a reminder. I keep my promises. You can trust me. Press on. Be encouraged. Get God's reminder. So we, we're encouraged as we look to our past. God is keeping his promises. But we also get an encouragement from the future. And the message here is, God is far from done. God is far from done. So you go to Numbers 1, okay, we're starting to see the promise to Abraham being fulfilled, uh, but God's not done. And even the, the census itself gives that hint, this isn't it. Uh, how do you know? Well, they're actually able to complete the census. They're, they're able to number everybody. They actually come up with a number. Because remember the promise to Abraham, right? It was... Like stars in the sky. Go ahead, Abraham, God says, right? Try to number them. If you can, right? he can't do it. He's not able to number the stars in the sky. There's too many, right? And by the way, scientifically, even to this day, with all our technology, we can't number them. The more we look, the more we see, you can't do it. That was the point to Abraham. But here you are in Numbers 1. God is certainly showing amazing keeping of his promise, but you're still able to number them. God must not be done. And sure enough, we keep reading our Bible. Oh, he is not done. He is not done. So let's fast forward all the way to the end. Here's where God is taking us. Uh, we read it this morning, but let's flip in our Bibles there. Uh, Revelation 7. Now you're on page 1032. And if you've ever read Revelation before, you might have the sense of what God is doing in Revelation He's communicating truth 
but that truth about either what's going on now or, or what God will do in the future, that truth is communicated in, in pictures and symbols. Uh, so it's not like literal history, like a history textbook, as much as it is like, like a, a vivid coloring book picture of, of images, image and symbol. So Revelation 7, you're getting this, you're getting this picture of, of the fullness of where God is taking things. This picture of heaven that, that John gets, John the Apostle, uh, gets this vision. And we read from 9 to 17 this morning, but, but, but uh, if you're on page one, uh, 1032, you notice what, what happens right above where we started reading. Uh, glance at verses 4 through 8 and see if something looks familiar. Oh, that looks like a census. And, oh, look, it's some of the exact same names. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher. These are the sons of Jacob. These are the tribes of Israel. This is another census. This is a, this is a final census. The numbers here, again, like Revelation, they're, they're, they're pictures, they're symbols. So you get 12,000. Uh, 12 is, is a number of completeness. It's totality. So you have 12,000 times 12 tribes. You've got a complete of the complete of the complete. This is, it's here. It's all here. It seems to be the message. Um, that's what introduces uh, what John actually sees. So if, you, if, if those, this census, he doesn't see this. We're told, verse 4, this is what he hears. And Revelation does this a couple times, where John hears one thing, and then he sees another, not because they're different, but because they're connected. Uh, so he hears about Old Testament symbol, and he sees New Testament fulfillment. Uh, it just happened a couple chapters ago in Revelation. Uh, John hears Lion of the tribe of Judah, and he sees Christ like a lamb slain. Old Testament image, New Testament fulfillment. That They're connected. And I think that's what's going on here. What does he hear? He hears this Old Testament picture, census of the tribes of Jacob, uh, the tribes of Israel. But what does he see, verse 9? After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. There it is. That's what, that's what God promised Abraham, right? That the descendants, the people of God, were going to be a multitude so great like stars in the sky, you're not going to be able to number them. And here it is. God did it. Fulfilled. It's the ultimate heavenly picture. We're told it's people from every nation and tribe. So it's not just confined to one ethnicity, but it certainly includes believing Jews, but there are believing Gentiles grafted in. Uh, what, what Paul speaks of, the New Testament speaks of as the Israel of God, children of Abraham by faith, because they share the same faith in God's promises as Abraham had. Um, so you have this, uh, this children of Abraham by faith, but, but here's the fullness, uh, right? The, in the vast, can't number the multitude, and they're enjoying the blessings of the heavenly promised land. Uh, verse 16, you see, like, all those wilderness hardships are done, right? They're not in the wilderness anymore. No more hunger, no more thirst, no more scorning the heavenly promised land, the fullness. This little preview of what God, where God is taking, God's keeping his promises, but he's not done yet. He is not done yet. He will be, and he's taking us there. 
But, but as we look around the wilderness, uh, and, and maybe we're tempted to think uh, in this world, man, this, this looks kind of pointless. I can't see what in the world God is up to. Uh, God gives us these reminders from his word. Oh, God is definitely in control, and God is definitely bringing it to the fullness of his plan. Right? He's not done. So it's an encouragement for us that, that we, can, we can press on. Uh, we can keep going. We can trust him because we know he is taking it somewhere. Look, uh, he gives us this, this peak, this, this vision of what is, what is to come. What is to come for us if you're trusting in Christ, uh, then, then you're named among this multitude. Uh, those, those who wash their garments white in the blood of the Lamb, uh, Revelation says. In other words, faith in Christ. Uh, not that you've done, worked hard enough, but that Christ washes you clean. We get a similar uh, picture of the future as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning. Uh, because just like Numbers 1 census, yes, the Lord's Supper points us back. It has us remembering what, what God has done in Christ, but it also gives us a little preview of what's to come. We come to the Lord's Supper and we're encouraged and we're strengthened, uh, but we can also hear God saying to us, he's not done yet. As this supper gives us a little preview of, of the heavenly banquet, uh, the, the fullness of, of God's rescue and redemption of that, that place when we will celebrate in his presence and all the, the wilderness hardships of sun and thirst and spiritual difficulty are done. And God gives us a little preview. It's coming. And he says to us, I'm not done yet. Uh, I'm not done yet. Be encouraged. Press on. But what do we do in the meantime? Okay, so we look back, uh, we see God keeps his promises, we look ahead, we can know he's not done yet. What do we do in the meantime? And that is also what the message of Numbers 1 is. Uh, God is explaining to his people what their, what their time in the wilderness is going to be all about, their present calling. This is, Numbers 1, a census, not of everybody, but specifically those of military age. Right? Males over the age of 20. What is God doing in Numbers 1? He, he, in part, is organizing the army of Israel. He's getting God's people ready and organized to fight the battles that they're going to fight on their way into the Promised Land. Some of these battles we're going to read about as we study the book of Numbers. Uh, so God now is organizing the army and getting them ready. Notice something important about how God organizes his army. Right? He's, he's reminding them, this is, this is what you're going to do in the desert. You're going you're gonna to get ready, and you're going to fight. Uh, but notice something important about how, how God does this. That is, as the, as the people of God are counted, once you get in that military age, everyone's counted. Everybody. This isn't, this isn't a, a recruitment campaign. You know? Who wants to volunteer? We're looking for a few good men. Nope. Everybody's out. Count them all. You see the message? Right? It's not like, who wants to serve the Lord and his army? Anybody volunteer? No, God says, count everybody, because they're all in. Uh, the, the message is, if you're a part of God's people, you're in Israel, then you're in the ranks. You're a servant of the Lord. This is what God saved his people uh, for. He saved them to be his, to be his servants. Uh, and, and, of course, that's the exact same thing with us today. Uh, as, God, as God rescues us, 
uh, he saves us to be his servants. And there's a real sense in which, uh, in, in which there's a spiritual battle. We talked about it when we studied Ephesians a couple months ago. Uh, it's not a battle of swords and spears, uh, though it has a lot of similarities uh, to, to the time of Numbers. Uh, it has the similarities that ultimately the battle is the Lord's, and so we'll see in the Old Testament battles, uh, God's people are involved, but ultimately it's God who really wins the victory. Same for us. Um, God wins the victory. We have a great testimony of it here. Uh, God wins the victory, but he includes us. Uh, he, he uses us. He works through us in that, that spiritual battle. Again, not, not with swords and spears, not fighting against flesh and blood, not battling people, but it's this, this spiritual battle uh, of, of, of seeing the kingdom grow, seeing the, the good news of Jesus being taken to those who haven't heard and haven't believed, uh, the, the good news of Jesus strengthening God's people within the family as we, as we teach one another and serve one another and love one another. Uh, and that work, ultimately, of God building his kingdom, that ultimately, that's the Lord's work. Uh, he fights that battle, but he uses us. And he numbers us uh, in the process. And the same, uh, the same principle applies, the numbers one principle. Uh, the commander-in-chief calls all the people of God to be involved. They're all in the ranks. God doesn't come to his people and say, any volunteers? Looking for a few good men? Nope. You're in? You're in the ranks. You're part of the people of God? You're counted. It's the way it is. It's what it means to be uh, a, a child of the living God. And now, of course, it looks different uh, in, in serving and working for the growth of the kingdom, it's going to look different for individual people. We all have our different gifts and, and different circumstances in life where we can, we can serve the Lord, and it's going to look different. But there's that common numbers one principle of God's not asking for volunteers. Uh, if you're a part of the people of God, you're in the ranks. You're counted. Because uh, you belong to the Lord. And so we start asking ourselves, okay, how is the Lord going to use me? How is he using me? How can I, how can I ask him to strengthen me in that? How I can I, I go with confidence and faith? There is a connection to the Lord's Supper as well here. Uh, because we see the battle. It's the Lord's. right? Christ wins the victory. And so we see these emblems of his, his finished work. right? He, he fought the battle with sin and death and did it, won the victory for us. Uh, but that victory purchases us. We're his. And so he, he reminds us of this uh, salvation by grace, and then he sends us out into the world as those who belong to him. Sends us out, because if we're named among the people of God, then we're, we're named among the ranks. And he sends us out with his strength uh, to serve him with his blessing. So, a census. Who would have thought a census could have... All that importance to it. Well, in the context of Scripture, it does. It gives us a reminder of God's past faithfulness. He shouts to us, he is a God who keeps his promises. It points us ahead to the future. It's this, it's this powerful word that God isn't done yet, so we can be encouraged and press on. It helps us clarify our present calling uh, as those who are among the Israel of God. God calls all his people. Uh, as servants in his kingdom. 
and by his grace strengthens us in them. So let's let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for, for the power of your word, for its encouragement, its strength, its guidance. Uh, Father, we, we do pray that as your people we would be strengthened, and we cling to what Christ has done and, and be transformed. And given that, that faith of Abraham, our father, uh, to trust in you, and uh, through that faith be counted righteous. We pray in Jesus' name.